Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. I'm Simon. And I'm Tony. We are Needy in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 142, recorded on February the 9th, 2021. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on kneedeepintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. Today's headlines are probably going to be Ignite has opened for registrations. What on earth is Viva? And what is an employee experience anyway? News from Intune? New exams for Simon? And the rest of the world as well. Power BI news and a quick heads up about Purview. But first, I was about to say a word from our sponsors, but I'm going to go ahead and say a word from Tony. Yep, thank you very much. So this is uh, supposedly the focus segment for this episode, uh, and today I would like to cover one of my favorite topics uh, since a few years back, and that is the Windows Admin Center. So uh, we can begin by talking a little bit about the why, the when, and the who. Uh, just what 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 is this admin center thingy really? I'm sure that most of you have at least heard about it by now, because Microsoft has been pushing it pretty heavily for the last few years since the release was at Ignite 2018, I believe, with the preview released the year before. So the thing is supposedly a simplified management product for your infrastructure. Uh, it is meant to be a complement for the classic remote server administration tools uh, because I can't even remember like back in the mid 2000s or something everyone was still just using RDP to log into every server to do whatever that server needed doing at that very specific moment. People still do! I know, but it was back then that Microsoft actually began recommending people to use remote administration tools, hence the RSAT toolkit. So use a management box, use admin tools from there, and remotely manage your machines. That was the thing back then, and people mostly adapted to it, but far from everyone. So time passes, and these uh, RSAT tools uh, were kind of problematic, uh, not really optimized for remote management uh, that much. So uh, usually you need to make a cheese with your firewall rules, for example, just to open all the necessary ports, make sure that the access was allowed, uh, things like that. So not really preferable, especially in secure environments. But still, uh, the remote administration was still better than logging to every server with RDP and doing stuff. Uh, usually there weren't even slots available, so you had to kick someone else out and destroy their work and things like that. Uh, very common back then, and as I said, still today that actually happens, because people just don't listen. <clears throat> so Microsoft tried a new grip on this issue uh, by introducing the Windows Admin Center. So this was supposed to be the the complementary tool that was good enough to get everyone from logging into RDP or even using the RSAT toolkit. Uh, I would say that's true to a certain extent. It actually does, does this really well. It does certain things way better than the RSAT tools ever did or still do. 
So I can definitely recommend and have been doing so for the last three years, everyone to actually try this out. So Project Honolulu was the initial um, preview name and at Ignite 2018 it was uh, released for general availability. Uh, today it is up to version 2009 is the general availability version, uh, which came out late last year. And the preview version is called 2011. Uh, but I'm expecting that to go generally av available really soon, actually. We'll see. So who is this actually for? Uh, I thought about this for a brief second and realized it's pretty much for everyone who does any form of infrastructure uh, management. So if you, if you need to manage a server remotely, supposedly, uh, on-premises or in the cloud or anywhere else in a VM environment, as long as it's connected to a network, you can use this tool. So mostly for, I suppose, uh, people responsible to maintain servers, their functions, uh, their availability, check for performance issues, things you do in server manager, things like that, or even like, again, back to the RSAT tools. So this can replace most of them and do it even faster and more optimized um, and especially more securely since you don't need to make cheese with your firewall. This actually utilizes remote PowerShell and VMI to access the target servers or Windows 10 clients even. Uh, the compatibility for this goes officially way back to 2012, which is the oldest supported operating system. So that is the target management uh, machine you can do. It actually does support some features of 2008 R2, but we don't really need to talk about that since it's not supported anymore. So forget about that, get rid of it and use 2012 as the lowest uh, common de denominator. Right, so let's get to the practical stuff then. So how and where do you actually install this? So you download a lightweight package from Microsoft. It installs pretty much in minutes. You can install this on your Windows 10 desktop machine if you just like to try it out real quick, do some evaluations, test it out, see how it feels. Does this seem like a good thing for you? So install it on your Windows 10 box, that's called a desktop installation, and add a few servers in there and just try it out. Or if you like to do it the proper way, you install it on a Windows Server 2016 or newer, and that is called a gateway installation. So then you can actually access it from any machine in the network that can access that server on the you know HTTPS uh, port 443 pretty much. And then you can add your servers in there and manage it from pretty much anywhere. You can even publish this URL externally if you like. So you can have access to the admin portal from anywhere, as long as you have web browsing capabilities on your machine. So uh, very easy that way. And also when updates arrive, extensions, things like that, whatever it might be, you just install them on the admin center box and everyone's good to go because they're actually just using a browser to access the admin center. So that's really cool, really slim, really fast, very efficient, like I said before. And like I said, also the target management machines, as long as they are accessible through the network, it doesn't really matter if they are on-premises, in the cloud, in a DMZ, whatever, wherever they might be, it doesn't matter. 
Um, so, and I think the latest installation package, it's an MSI from Microsoft. You just download them from a link we can provide below. Uh, it's like 60 megs, pretty much. So very lightweight. Uh, to manage machines older than 2016, uh, you need to have the Windows Management Framework 5.1 installed on the target box. Uh, also a free component, uh, usually comes through Windows updates, so it's no biggie and you should already have it anyway. So I can't see really a problem with that. Uh, could I shoot in a probably a stupid question? Because I'm, I'm still stuck on the whole Swiss cheese firewall thing. Surely you need to open ports in order for remote PowerShell to work, or how does it work? Yeah, uh, absolutely you do. But those ports are usually already open if you are joined to a domain with your 2016 or 2019 box. So that's called the Windows Remoting Ports, I believe, WinRM, uh, which uh, utilizes the PowerShell Remoting Ports as well. So. Those are open by default in 2016. You might need to do something in 2012, 2012 installations. I can't really remember on the top of my head. Um, but yeah, in, in a domain network, those are usually already open for remote management. So that, that shouldn't be an issue. So if we have... Oh, there's so much to talk about. Lots of excitement here. So if you have a little bit of closer look at the actual features uh, that it has. So... Uh, like I mentioned previously, uh, Server Manager was used in 2012, I believe. It was introduced. It was, was, was improved a little in 2016. 2019 is pretty much the same as 2016. Um, so this does most of what Server Manager actually does. You can go in and view uh, CPU usage, memory usage, network uh, load, uh, disk management, things like that. Everything is available quick and easy uh, through a dashboard as soon as you connect to a server. Uh, and you can also do basic management in there. So for example, this is a fun one. So if you, when someone installed your box, say it was VMware or whatever, and they forgot to enable RDP. So you can actually use Windows Admin Center to connect to that box and enable RDP. Not that you should do that, but you can. Uh, and... <laughs> Again, a funny little detail, you can actually open up an RD, RDP window directly in Admin Center and connect to that machine. So again, it's a little bit contradictory since they are trying to go away from RDP. But still, if there is some sort of scenario where stuff hits the fan and you actually must use RDP, you can actually just launch Windows Admin Center and open up an RDP window in the Admin Center itself. Yeah, hi. I'm back. Stupid questions. Yep, go ahead. What is it, would you say, that you cannot do with Windows Admin Center that you would need a proper RDP connection to the to the box to do? Well, I, I'm mostly thinking about, you know, if the if there is some, some service that keeps crashing and doesn't want to respond, which makes Admin Center have some sort of issues trying to actually, you know, do a command connection or something like that, maybe... Uh, just trying to find some hypothetical here, but... Unlikely is what I'm hearing. Yeah, but or, or it might be a third-party application. Let's put it like that instead. So you, ah. you have a third-party application running and that has crashed and Admin Center can't actually communicate with that application at all. So then you might actually have to launch a RDP to troubleshoot the third-party application. Awesome, thanks. And to add to that, 
That is if you don't manage that other third-party application with something else. So I think that Admin Center can't do everything, but what Admin Center can't do can usually be done with something other than RDP again. Yeah, but I can also, that is a very good point. Uh, and I can also add to that. What Admin Center couldn't do yesterday, it actually can do today. I mean, the development cycles are absolutely amazing. It's been incredible development since just a few versions ago. And it, it just keeps on going. It keeps on trucking, you know, new updates very often that adds functionality that actually the user voice forums have voted. So they are looking actively there to develop this. So it is designed for you, but they also like to say it is dis designed by you. So they, they do a lot of user voice requests and add those features in as they go. Uh, and also that uh, that has shown in the, say, three, four last major releases. They have always, always had some of the user voice uh, features included in the next release. So they are actually actively monitoring those, which is always a good thing. So... At first, you couldn't do Active Directory users and computers, for example. That was not available. DNS was not available. DHCP was not available. All of those are included today. I wouldn't say they are as user-friendly as, you know, the RSET tools, which everyone is accustomed to, but they are available in case you need them. So you can do basic stuff in there and even some more advanced stuff as well. And like I said, as soon as you connect to a server, you get pretty much the task manager view. You can see the current CPU load, uh, memory usage, network usage, uh, disk volumes, how much is left. So you can do like basic troubleshooting pretty much immediately as soon as you just connect to a machine. Well, I, I hope you get the picture. Uh, registry values, files, certificates, scheduled tasks, perf performance monitor. But besides doing single server stuff, you can also do hyper-converged management, meaning clusters and stuff. So you can actually manage clusters as well. Pretty cool. But then this is the final big punch push that I'd like to do, and that is the Azure services. So you can actually connect Windows Admin Center to Azure services as well. And the cool thing about this is they have simplified this enormously. So for example, let's take an example of Azure Site Recovery. So that was more than a few clicks, Previously, you had to configure the Azure side, you had to configure some on-prem stuff. But if you do this via the admin center, it is pretty much like five clicks and you're done. So you don't have to do 27,000 custom commands here and there and install roles and stuff like that. It's five clicks and admin center does everything for you. So many Azure services included and many more to come, I'm sure. Uh, so just to round up this really quickly, time flies when you're having fun. So what does it cost to use the admin center? Absolutely not a single penny. It is included free with every Windows license. So it's no additional cost. So there's pretty much no reason to actually not go and try it out. And like I said, we'll include a link below. And I thank you very much. As I said, time flies when you're having fun. Uh, if you have more questions, feel free to reach out. Um, I'll try to answer as best as I can. Superb. Awesome. This actually fills in a lot of the, the holes, so to speak, in my my um, my landscape of, of knowledge. No, Simon, do not quote me on that. 
landscape of knowledge. Yes, I, I can I can see the gears turning. No, but this this was great because this is one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about, and especially we're all well. You used to be a consultant, Tony, and how many times haven't we been uh, handed a Citrix RDP and been told, "Yeah, go do your thing," and it doesn't feel right, especially not twenty twenty one. I don't think it was right ten years ago, but it's still not right. Yep, I can totally agree with that, and it's I'm sure of it that it's still very common practice. Yeah, and and um, let's just say that we did my employer did a full hour on only why you shouldn't be using RDP from a security point of view. Uh, and admin center is one of the best ways of solving that. And you also mentioned that you can publish this. Uh, I tend to do that using Azure AD application proxy. Then you get without any external port openings, it's just click and go. Yep. So there, instead of getting, like you said, Alexander, that Citrix or even the horror, uh, a direct RDP connection, then you have admin center that you can reach remotely from wherever you are with conditional access and so on. Be careful though, <laughs> uh, as with everything, but uh, avoid RDP at all cost. There we go. That's a top tip right there. Thank you, Tony. No problem. So we've had some... Um as always, some interesting news. And uh, for starters, it's back to Tony. Apparently, Ignite registration is up again. Yep. Uh, I believe that was opened uh, like last week, middle of last week or something like that. Uh, I registered last Friday, I believe. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not sure there's a lot more to say about that. There, you know, the schedule builder or the session builder is not out yet, uh, yet as far as I know. Uh, not at the time of this recording at least it might be out by the time this is published uh, so i'm i'm very excited to and waiting for that yeah it's going to be interesting to see how they can fit in two ignites on a single year and if this is going to be kind of a, a tick or a talk ignite if you if you use the wording of, of intel so half of them are, are smallish and half of them are big we don't know yeah, but the, the thing is still, uh, how can you fit two Ignites in one year? Well, I suppose they can, because it's not a full week. This is just a two or three days worth. That's a good point. But but then again, it's also what is Ignite supposed to be? Because if, if we even go back to the tech ed days, it was the time of the year where they released everything. And that's what they have used Ignite for. But now when they have two they can't possibly fit in as many releases in both. And they are also quite near one another. So if they see it more as a training event, then, yeah. But I, I think that's that that's the entire thing. What is it supposed to bring to the Microsoft community? But that's a way too big topic to, to talk about now. And just to add to that, since the PASS, or the, the Professional Association for Secret Server, folded, it is gone. Um, traditionally, Microsoft used the PASS Summit as the springboard for data and analytics stuff. That is not going to happen anymore. So they have even more stuff to fit in on one or two conferences. Well, we'll see what happens. Which kind of segues into what is Microsoft Viva? 
Uh, Tony said you've spent two minutes looking at some kind of a video. That means you're eons more experienced than I am. I don't have a clue. Simon, do you have any idea? I think so. Wow. But but let's just say that we, we spoke about this prior to starting the recording and, and we will be doing a focus episode. I've actually already been invited to do a focus episode this week uh, with another company. But but I just said I have no time to read up on what this is. But we'll we'll do it briefly. So Microsoft Viva is what Microsoft calls an employee experience platform. So to me it's it, it is, as far as I know, under the Microsoft 365 umbrella in terms of licensing and, and so on. But it feels like they are pushing it as sort of a power platform, kind of. So you will have Azure, Microsoft 365, Power Platform, Viva, Dynamics for the matter as well. Wait, what is it? Is it going to claim its own place beside the three heavies, Dynamics, Azure, and Office 365? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, but I, I, it's currently under Microsoft 365. Right. Uh, but, but we'll see. So Viva is built to enhance the remote workers' employee experience. And it will do that using four parts. Viva Connections, which will be sort of like Delve. So when you are a new colleague in a company or join a new group at a company, Viva Connections should help you find your peers, find your manager, find people you collaborate with using of course, AI. So whatever I say in the coming two or three minutes, assume everything has to do with AI, or from, at least from a marketing point of view. So it's about finding sort of a dynamic group of interesting people when you join a company. Not Yammer. <laughs> oh, don't get me started on Yammer. Then we have Viva Insights. And insights is likely the big thing here. <laughs> but like my colleague said, I have no desire whatsoever to tell Microsoft how I feel every morning. <laughs> but that is in practice what it is. Viva Insights is about helping managers helping managers understanding how their employees feel if they exercise enough if they are happy uh, if they do their virtual commute if they are training like doing tra internal trainings as they should how are they using remote meetings all of that the entire well-being of the employees so would that in practice pretty much mean that i would get paired with angry depressed people all the day all day long <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that that's when you combine connections and insights but it's a very actually a very good question so before we started the recording tony told us about the new piece of, of shirt that he's going to be buying with the text what is it with particular you don't understand i think this would be a great thing to put into viva yeah absolutely what's the what's the daily particular index yeah yeah but but it like it's 
as well as recommendations to better balance productivity and well-being. It's all about learn, like having that knowledge that you may get from meeting people in an office, but in a remote working from home environment. Uh, and this is one of the places where they have integrations with a lot of third-party uh, companies such as Zoom and Slack, Workday and SAP. So they can really bring in a lot of data within the platform. The third one is Viva Learning, which is the ability to combine kind of all online learning platforms. So LinkedIn Learning, Pluralsight, Coursera, Skillsoft, edX, Cornerstone, SAP again, everything. So you can get your personalized training center your complete lms of everything in one place and which of course can be followed up by your manager and then we have viva topics which is uh, i can't even pronounce the word but it's a thesaurus thesaurus yeah for abbreviations among other things so when you find an abbreviation within teams that you don't understand you can hover over that one and topics will explain what it is and also show you experts in the area which you're looking into that you can connect with. So again, it's a bit like Delve, but for information. So whatever you find in a Teams chat or something like that, you can get more insights on. So you're telling me that this is just the quick summary, the short brief, and you're doing focusing on this? Yeah. Feels like you've been on the topic for ten minutes already. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm terribly sorry, but I, I and and I haven't even given my view on it, and that's what we will leave for the focus segment and also what is really the employee experience. Good stuff, good stuff. Looking forward to that. Actually, I I'm, I I want to laugh at this, but I can't because this sounds surprisingly interesting. So the question in my mind, which should probably be gone into depth in the the focus segment but is this a um, a compliment or is it a uh, instead of actually talking to people and actually meeting people in in reality i think microsoft sees this as a compliment right they because i think they we'll leave it at that and we'll get back to that in the focus one but it, it's seen as a compliment to it Cool. Uh, rumor has it, Simon, that there is a new Intune release. Yeah, there is, and it's it's a big one this time. But I will be brief again. Can I quote you on that? <laughs> yeah. So first, we now have notifications in your native language uh, in a much simpler way. So when you have a compliance policy within Intune, you previously had email templates that were sent out when a user were non-compliant but the trouble being that you didn't have an option to filter on language so if you had multiple languages within your organization you were forced to have one compliance policy assigned to one group with one template per language and that was just a horrific way of managing it so now you have localized notifications so that will be a welcome addition i would guess for the the organizations that are have are multilingual uh, internally then we have new settings catalogs for 
macOS and Windows, and also an extended settings catalog for Microsoft Edge on macOS. So you now have the same kind of controls for Mac for Microsoft Edge on Mac as you have on Windows. And I'm seeing that this is driving my point around Edge being the focus in terms of security and data compliance for the Mac OS platform moving forward. Or for Linux as well, of course. Uh, but also, they are now starting to gather settings from all the different places in Intune where you have settings for a platform into a settings catalog. So you shouldn't be needing to care if it's an ADMX, like an old group policy, or if it's a new uh, CSP kind of prof profile or setting you apply. You only apply the setting and then Intune figures it out. We also have a new user interface. So if you envision a um, shared iPad, so an iPad with multiple apps that you share in a classroom, as an example. You often want that home screen to look a certain way. And now you have the ability to, in Intune, just drag and drop icons on a virtual home screen and apply that on an iPad instead of using a JSON template to do that. And lastly, we also have a couple of improvements to app management on iOS especially where you now have the option to configure a iOS app to be removable. So if you deploy an app, you can allow or disallow the removal of that app um, because that wasn't the behavior previously. You were forced to have it there, regardless if it was something you only wanted to pre-populate it with uh, or recommend, and then you didn't really care if someone removed it. But there are also a ton of other news in the uh, February 1st release, so I uh, recommend you to take a look at the release notes. Sounds reasonable, and, and there was a lot of interesting things in this one. Small, it, it might sound like small things, but I think it's going to be a real game changer, especially the, the language notification thing. Yeah, absolutely. And um, 35 seconds, new security exams out. Yes, we have four new security exams and a Windows Virtual Desktop exam that are in beta or will be going into beta soon. It's the SC 900, 200, 300, and 400, as well as the ASET 140. So the uh, SC 900 is the Microsoft Security Compliance and Identity Fundamentals. That will be a joy. If you're natively English speaking, I think you have an hour to write that exam. We that aren't have a bit longer, but an hour was apparently very hard. Uh, SC200, Cyber or Microsoft Security Operations, so focused on Microsoft Defender for Endpoints and SOC Analysts. 300, Identity and Access Administrator. And 400, Information Protection Administrator. So it's really not something you take one at a time. It's four very different exams. And I have scheduled all four of them writing the first two this Thursday and then the second two in March. And then we have ASET 140, which is the configuring and operating Windows Virtual Desktop on Microsoft Azure. And I think that says it all. Does the the Sierra Charlie tests bring you to um, some kind of expert level or is it still just associate? I've not any experts, 
its associates or fundamentals. I think it's even one per exam. Yeah, that, that looks like it. Yeah, four titles and four exams. It's not aggregating up to a expert certification. You'll, you'll, you'll have, to, have to let me know about the 300 because I think that might be interesting for me to actually look closer at. Yeah, uh, and I don't know when they are planning to release the betas, but I'm, I'm guessing some, some time in April, May, probably the results will be back. And the Windows Virtual Desktop one will be going live for signups first week of March. So I think it's March 8th or something like that when you can start to sign up for ASET 140. Hmm. This is actually kind of a segue, and I just realized <laughs> it, it is not something that I just made up. Well, it is. But so one of the interesting things, I had a conversation with a boss, my boss today is on, on training people and getting people up to speed with technology. We have phenomenal documentation on everything we work with. We know, for instance, exactly how to set up a data lake. We know how to set up Power BI. We know all these things. But what is way more difficult to find information about is how do you architect them? How do you, how do you use them in a, a good manner? Because you can screw things up phenomenally by just reading the documentation. You're not doing anything specifically wrong, but you're definitely not doing it right either. So one of the things that just came out on February the 3rd is a set of best practice rules to improve a data model's performance in Power BI. So this was on the Power BI blog. Uh, it's written by Michael Kowalski, who's one of the senior program managers. And it is basically just a set of rules and tips for how to get your, your data model to perform. It's a great starting point for anyone who's not very used to it. And it is a great thing to come back to if you're experienced with it. Since that's part of Microsoft Docs, can anyone contribute to it? That is a great question. I would assume so. Uh, I don't know, but I would assume so. If not, that is definitely something to... to ask about yeah um when it comes to power query online um do you know what query folding is that's not necessarily power query online it's it's power query query folding query folding is where you do something in power bi and you push down the predicate to the source i mean if i'm selecting a subset of data from a table with 80 million rows. I don't want to have all 80 million rows come screaming over the wire, and then I just take the rows that I want in Power BI and drop the rest. So I push down the predicate, and the SQL Server in this case is just going to give me the result. That's query folding. The problem with query folding, especially in Power Query Online, is that it has been difficult to see if it actually happens. Well, in the case of 80 million rows, you're going to notice if it didn't fold. <laughs> Exactly. But in more subtle ways, you might have a hunch, but you weren't sure. So you can always go and look at the query that goes down. Sure. But as of now, there are indicators in every step of your Power Query um, work, basically. So you can see that the source is not folding. The first step is folding. The second step is not folding. And then you can go in and try to figure out why isn't it folding or is it folding when it's not expected and so on and so forth. So it's a, it's a huge, um, it's a huge help. It's not a big thing, but it's a huge help when you're, you're trying to figure out why 
uh, something is not folding as it should. Is it unfolding as well? The query is not unfolding, no. <laughs> Stay out of it, Simon. And there is something called Azure Purview. We thought it might be called Data Catalog Generation 2, but it is now called Azure Purview. And this is, this is enormous. This is a unified data governance suite. Um, it's, it's a service, and it helps you manage and govern your, your data, basically. And it doesn't matter if it's your on-premises data, if it is data in Azure, data in another cloud, in a software-as-a-service, it doesn't matter. It can basically walk through all your data estate and make a map. Uh, it can do um, data classification. It can do data lineage. And the most basic thing, it can help you find trustworthy and valuable data. I, it's, it's, um, it's a missing link. It's, it's been missing for quite some time because data catalog version one was not something to write home about. Uh, so th this one is really, really interesting. It is free um, until February the 28th. And here is a word of warning. It is not free per se. You can easily rack up some serious charges. So be careful when it comes to, to working with this. And that's my, my main gripe with Purview. We're, we're in, in premium territory again. So that's, that's unfortunate. But that pretty much goes for all cloud services, right? I mean, aiming low or high, I mean, uh, everything seems so promising, very cheap. You can uh, save up a lot of cash by using VMs in clouds and stuff like that. But once you actually begin to consume and using those VMs, the price might actually shoot through the roof if you're not careful. So, I, I mean, the same principle should apply here as well, right? Well, yes and no. You're, you're shifting uh, cost. That, that's probably what you're talking about. But in, in this case, the cost for the service in itself is extremely high. It's like Power, Power BI Premium is extremely expensive per month. Hopefully, we're going to see some lightweight version because as it is, everybody and their cat wants it until they see the price tag. But this is also driven by the need for compliance. So this is a new thing that everyone needs true to fulfill their compliance requirements and regulations so that is the problem that we are now getting costs that we knew that we would get at some point after gdpr or even for healthcare they had similar regulations prior to that as well so if we had spread this out over time, we wouldn't have noticed it. And now we're in a stage where we need to have this. The chicken is coming back to roost, for sure. True. Sometimes we get something that we thought was going to be expensive, but wasn't. So Power BI Embedded, or the A SKUs of Power BI, is uh, kind of a weird thing because this is Power BI Premium that you can start and stop on your own as opposed to Power BI Premium or Power BI um, the EM SKUs. Those you can't start or stop. But an A SKU embedded, you can start and stop. The A SKUs are, are used uh, for um, embedding stuff in your own application. If you want to report uh, 
engine, if you're in your application, you can embed Power BI and you do so through an ASKU in Azure. The thing is, an A4 SKU is the same thing as a P1 or an EM1. And you need at least an A4 in order to use the fun stuff in Power BI, like um, AI workloads and, and paginated reports, which, well, an A4 is, is way more expensive than an A1. But the funny thing is, with Power BI Embedded Generation 2, which is in preview since the 7th, or slightly earlier than that, you no longer need an A4. You can do this on an A1. So I can use um, AI workloads. I can use paginated reports on an A1, which is, in practice, dirt cheap. And I can very, very quickly scale my resource, should I need to, because there's a lot of load. Um, I can scale it highly, um, better performance. It is a phenomenal thing to a much uh, smaller price tag than we had previously. I'm just sort of impressed that you are beginning to sound like a license manager salesperson or something. Yeah, I'm the licensing geek. Come on. <laughs> is my comment on that one. Uh, incredible how you can keep all those numbers in your head. Oh, there is a lot of crap in my head. I thought we knew that. Oh, I believe you. <laughs> I just didn't think that was licensing stuff. <laughs> yeah, let's just take that sentence out of its context. You need an A5 to get a P1 to get an ME5. EM, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> it can be guns, it can be drugs, it can be cars, it can be absolutely everything, and it's Power BI. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on, indeed. We're running out of time. Um, there are a few things coming up. Uh, for instance, uh, the Scottish Summit uh, and the WVD Tech Fest. Those are probably going to be the, the next speaking engagements. I will not go anywhere near the WVD Tech Fest. That's on you, Simon. But we're both going to do the Scottish Summit on the 27th. And then I will be speaking at Team Stagen uh, in March. Again, very happy to be back there and speaking about administrating Microsoft Teams. And I actually spoke today, which was great fun, at the Citrix user group on security and Azure basics. Oh, that's a nice topic. Mm -hmm. 25 minute sessions. That is a hard length for a session. Oh, yeah. That is definitely difficult. But had, had, Especially the security session was super fun and had great great feedback on both. But the security session, I think, opened the eyes for on many and opened my eyes as well for what Citrix has to offer in terms of security. There we go. And I think we are pretty much out of time for this episode. And as always, thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye now. Thank you for listening to this episode. Knee Deep in Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Tony Holopainen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at kneedeepintech.com.